One of the scariest nights I remember as a child wasn't one with a nightmare, but it was one where I woke up and heard something, what I thought was in the wall, scratch, 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 scratch. The wind outside was howling, and this was in an old, old house we just moved into, built in the 1700s, and I dare say it had been minimally maintained for about a century. The house was creaking, and my mind jumped to think about our creepy, dusty, cobwebby attic right above my pillow. And it was full of stuff from previous generations of tenants. My brother and I were so scared of it, we would dare each other to go up the stairs to go through the first room to the ultimate room of terror, the second room. Because at the far end of that room was this long coffin-shaped thing covered with a blanket, dusty, cobwebby blanket. And at one end was this raised sort of box. We knew. Frankenstein. <laughs> so the scratching, Oh, that's Frankenstein crawling out of his coughing. Or maybe it's mice scratching their way through the wall to get at me. Because in this lovely old house, we'd seen a few poke their heads up downstairs through the big gaps in the decrepit yet original wood floor. These terrifying thoughts whipping up in my mind got interrupted by what I felt like was a small touch on my face. A mouse, I knew it. I leapt from my bed, ran and hid. Fear, total and utter fear. I imagine is pretty close to the fear Peter felt and the disciples felt in this gospel. And it's a story most of us know pretty well. Jesus walking on water. Jesus, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? This is a story chock full of fear, the power of fear, and how fear, when it gets a hold of us, transforms us and can hurt us. Peter and the disciples have been in the boat all night, battered by waves. Now, battered in the original Greek literally means torture. So they were tortured by these waves, harassed by these waves. And you can only imagine the intensity of the fear if you think about, these were accomplished sailors. These were people who made their living on the sea. This was their familiar wor world, their comfort zone, their comfort boat, one they thrived in and made a living in, and it had been transformed to a life-threatening state. And then they see what they think is a ghost, a figure walking on the water, and they cry out. Other translations make it a little more uh, distinct. They screamed. They don't recognize salvation in the midst of terror. Fear took over. It never occurred to me as a kid to turn on the light or run to my parents. I froze in fear, hidden in my closet. I didn't trigger an investigation after turning on the lights, asking parents, what is this terrifying thing really? But Peter did. 
When he heard Jesus say, it is I, do not be afraid, Peter investigates and challenges, is is it really you? And Jesus says, come. So imagine the exhilaration and the awe and the trembling, a mix of, I can't believe this is happening, am I really walking on water? And then scripture says he noticed a strong wind. Other translations say he saw the strong wind, and he's overwhelmed by fear and starts to sink. Done in by seeing wind, something we don't actually see but can sense. Done in by his imagination taking over, fear taking over, when right there, right in front of him, is Jesus. This has been a week of great fear for our nation. Heated rhetoric threatening nuclear war. People feeling an imminence of that horror at a level that some of us remember from the Cold War. Friends and pundits and news stories exploded on my social media feeds, amplifying the fear terrified that our nation's leadership will initiate the unthinkable and perhaps start the beginning of the end. This is a real storm. This is a real storm just like the storm the disciples were in. And that fear is transforming us. The battering of the boat of our nation. Where is our salvation? And then to cap off this week, yesterday in Charlottesville, a horrible storm. Thousands of alt-right protesters triggered a Unite the Right rally. Hundreds of counter-protesters came out in response, and I was so proud of clergy colleagues and a little bit jealous. Colleagues from across denominations, out there with many of their congregants at the prayer service beforehand with Cornell West, gathering peacefully, posting pictures of marching together, and then encountering the terrible wave of violence as both sides clashed physically. And then that culminating with a self-identified alt-white alt-right white supremacist driving his car into the crowd, one person dead, 19 injured, drove his way into a crowd of people proclaiming love instead of hate, proclaiming the dignity of every human being. A terrible storm. These are people wearing Nazi paraphernalia, militia garb, KKK symbols, shouting extreme racial epithets, anti-Semitic, anti-immigration, anti-LGBTQ slogans. Terrible storm. And where is Jesus? Where in this can we keep our eyes on him instead of the storm? Can we keep our eyes on him Can our fear be transformed, or will it transform us and sink us further into despair? How do we trust 
the power of his love, the promise of liberation, true justice and salvation. The gospel's answer is faith. Faith doesn't mean blind following. Faith means trust. And this story shows that trust is fragile. The disciples in the boat and Peter, so much like us, experiencing the dance between trusting God. They had just seen him feed the 5,000. They knew he was miraculous. They'd had a taste that he might be divine. Yet dancing between that trust and that experience and then being overwhelmed by the storm they were in and letting that fear transform them. And that fear is real. That dance is real. And it's a vibrant part of our spiritual journey. No matter how long we've been on the path of growing in Christ, we still dance this dance. We aren't perfect, and we don't have all the answers. And as accomplished as we are in the skills to navigate the boats of our lives, and even the boat of faith in this community, we will get scared, and we will get overwhelmed. We'll falter in our trust. And that's okay, because we, like Peter, can reach out to Jesus. When we remember there's a Savior, we can reach out, Lord, save me. So the story doesn't promise there won't be storms, It promises us that Jesus is with us, even when we can't see him, even when we don't recognize him. Our reading today from Romans says, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. The word, Jesus. And by virtue of each and every one of you being here, each and every one of us, at some level the divine is present in all of us. We are here. There's some level of trust. And sometimes it comes to us in forms we don't expect. Someone recently gave me a new book by a Yale professor of modern European history in the Holocaust And the book is called On Tyranny. Honestly, as much as I trust the spiritual wisdom and previous recommendations of the lovely person who gave it to me, the last thing I wanted to read was in the midst of our nation's storms was a book called On Tyranny. But it sat on my desk and it's really tiny and it's really thin and only 128 pages. And earlier in the week, I noticed there was a subtitle, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. So I cracked it open and discovered that this little book is a how-to guide to resisting tyranny, to resisting the evil forces that threaten democracy, threaten our structures which are set up to give voice to all, to respect the dignity of every human being. The lessons are all pointers in positive directions. And the author roots his analysis 
and these, in these suggestions in two to three page studies, not academic treatises, really short little essays on the turning points that have historically undone democracies in the West in the last century. This author transforms the fear of the gathering storms of tyranny by training our eyes on hope and how we can take concrete actions. And as I started flipping through, it turns out that all these actions, all these lessons are scriptural. Each and every one of the 20 lessons and 20 suggestions, the little chapters could have started out with a quote from the Bible. Number four, suggestion four, take responsibility for the face of the world. Images matter, he says, swastikas matter. Get rid of them. Hate speech matters. Become a counter-protester. Speak up. Or this one, suggestion 10. Believe in truth. Real facts are not fake news. Facts exist. Oppression exists. Injustice exists. And the term alt-right is, is a mask for white supremacy. It's not a benign right-wing organization. We need to proclaim God's truth in the face of a repackaged manipulation of truth. And then my favorite one in context of today's gospel is stand out. Sound a little bit like getting out of a boat onto the rocky ocean? Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians when the community was wrestling with great divisions, divisions that threatened to break them apart, he wrote, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Weathering storms like the storms right now means continually returning our gaze to God. Our trust will waver. But when we ask for help and open our hearts to have our fear transformed, instead of having the fear transform into more fear within us, it is possible to ride the storm. We as Christians have hope. We have Jesus. So let us, as Paul also wrote in Ephesians, keep our eyes on God, whose power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Yes, Jesus is on our lips and in our hearts. Let us turn our eyes to him.
Amen.